Screen West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Welcome back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. It is Tuesday, November 29th, 2011. As usual, I'm your host, Paul Fox, and joining me from a super secret location here in the Fragrant Harbor that we've determined is in the basement of the Dynasty Theater is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hello, Paul. Hello, everybody. How are you doing, sir? Uh, I'm good. Uh, how about you? Well, you know, it's been a week since we talked, but if yes. the viewers or, or listeners are listening to this right now, they wouldn't know it because the show has not been edited and it's not been posted. And uh, I do apologize for that. Uh, a little bit late in the uh, reckoning of this apology because if you've heard this episode, you've probably already heard show number 90 by now. But I'm behind. There's just a ton of stuff going on. Um, it's the end of the semester. Lots of work to do. Lots of stuff I have to get caught up on. My own studies. Uh, plans for traveling, relatives, all the stuff that's happening in December, not to mention, don't, don't even get me started on Christmas shopping and all that stuff, but of all things, it was Thanksgiving last week, so I have to blame the tryptophan. That's my <laughs> excuse, and I'm sticking with it. How about you? Any? Uh, did you have any uh, turkey gobble day dinner? Uh, no, actually, I met up with some old friends that were in town, and we went to have um, yakiniku, so we did have meat. Mm. On Thanksgiving, a little mm. karaoke. Nice. Uh, I'm, re- I'm preparing for a little holiday myself. I don't know why they call it the holidays if everyone is so busy doing, you know, end of semester, end of the yeah. year, end of the month, you know, work quota and, and, you know, Christmas shopping and all that. But before I get into all of that, I'm taking a vacation next week to Japan. Yeah. This week, actually, you're leaving on Friday. Is that right? Yes, Friday yeah. late night. So actually, I don't know if you count. Depends on how you call it the end of the week. If some people consider it. You know, the weekend is the end of the week. Then I'll be there on Saturday morning. So that's like a so one full week, all seven days in Japan. That's awesome. And we're hoping to have you broadcast from there. You know I will. Yes. I'm, already, I'm already thinking about where to, to do a live, a live little check-in in yeah. the streets of Tokyo. Uh, it'll be great. Well, we're looking forward to that. Um, I see if my eyes do not deceive me that, uh, is that Kenneth Burson in the chat room? Sleazy K. Um, Sleazy K. I just wanted to say, say a shout out a little bit late, but uh, uh, you guys just passed your 100th episode. So congratulations on that. Uh, congratulations. To the Podcast on Fire Network. That is awesome. And uh, you guys have been working hard and you deserve uh, many kudos for the work that you guys do over there. Yeah, congratulations. And we're just 10 episodes behind. Yes. I, I don't think we're going to, I don't, uh, based on our current schedule, it doesn't look like we're going to quite make it this year, but sometime in 2000 and. Uh, and 12, we should be passing that mark, all things considered. And uh, who knows, maybe for the 100th episode, we'll have try and get everybody back on, you know, all the Love Hong Kong film guys, and, and maybe get Kenneth on, and a couple of other people who've uh, had on. Maybe not all at the same time, but, you know, we'll have to uh, work work something out in post, maybe. Uh, Kenneth asks, how did the audio commentary go? Well, it went. Uh, we haven't really heard 
any positive or negative criticism. So I'm not sure how many people actually heard the commentary, but it's there. <laughs> well, it's because we're going to make people buy Mysterious yeah, Island. Yeah, I think, I think that's, that's, yeah. that's blameworthy enough, just making people have to go out and uh, get a copy of that somehow. Um, so yes, it is there, the Halloween, the ubiquitous Halloween episode that we now have. Um, and we've got another one coming up, so we'll talk a little bit more about that in about a week or so. Um, a, a Christmas special audio commentary. Uh, ho, ho, ho. Yeah, ho, ho, ho is right. <laughs> um, all right, but that's neither here nor there. We've got a full show to talk about today. Um, we'll get on to a couple films later. What, are we gonna, what films are we going to be talking about, Kevin? Uh, for East Screen, we'll be talking about the Jeff Lau comedy, Eats, East Meets West. Uh, what a silly title. Um, <laughs> and for West Screen, uh, we'll be talking about Steven Spielberg's uh, The Adventures of Tintin. All right, all of that and much more coming up right after a little bit of news. All right, so we've got quite a few news stories this week. Uh, we've kind of been lax on news in the past couple weeks, so we wanted to spend some time just talking about some of the news that's floating around out there. And this is a story that, um, not directly film-related, although it kind of is, that's been floating around since last week. The particular article I'm looking at comes from the National Post, which is a Can Canadian-based um, online newspaper, I'm, I'm guessing, uh, from author Scott Stinson. And it says Netflix, it's called Netflix's own state of arrested development. And so basically what this is talking about is that Netflix recently announced that they're going to be bringing back a canceled series, that, that series being Arrested Development, which holds a special place in the hearts of many fans for that show. Including myself. Um, yes, I, I, I watched the series, and, and it, I, I didn't know what all the hubbub was about until I actually watched it, and then I watched it, and I got into it, and I said, ah, I get it now, because <laughs> pe people had been raving about it for a long time, and so I caught it on, on video. Um, but yes, Arrested Development uh, is the much-lauded and critically acclaimed show that just got canceled because it didn't have the ratings from, you know, the general population. There have been rumors and talks of uh, bringing it back in different forms. Um, there's supposedly a movie in the works, and I'm guessing that's still in the works. Um, but they've said that, uh, the, the all you know, getting all the cast would be back. Um, together, you know, getting the, the entire cast back together would be challenging, but they apparently did it for the movie. You've got Michael Sarah, who's kind of gone on to bigger and better things um, in recent years, and he's a lot older now, so I, I'm, that'll be kind of weird to see where they pick up, if they pick up right where the series left off or not. But the plan here is that Netflix is basically going to be producing new shows that will be distributed solely through Netflix. Um, and so it's got a lot of people talking about what does this mean for the future of product development? You know, if we're, if we're finally moving to an age where you've got these sources and these new distribution channels out there, and now they've got the power to actually produce content as well as distribute content. Um, and so will this lead to sort of a new production and consumption model? Um, I'm certainly excited about it. I mean, we've seen things kind of like this happen before. Um, one of my favorite examples is Futurama, which died on the Fox network, um, undeservedly so, and found new life thanks in part to Blu-ray sale, or, or not Blu-ray, uh, DVD sales, and, and, and now some of them are on Blu-ray. And so that's one aspect of a, of a different market or distribution um, area that's revived, basically revived a show. 
Uh, and I know that's been the same for a couple of other shows. Um, you kind of can point to online fandom sort of reviving Firefly, enough interest in Firefly to get the film version made, uh, the, the, the version called Serenity. Um, but this new idea of, of having actually a streaming network and go out and, and buy a dead series and get it back in running form and, and producing it is really kind of interesting. I think they're, they're also talking about doing a series called House of Cards, um, which I think... Um, David Pinterest. Ke- yeah, is Kevin, I want to say Kevin Spacey is attached to that. Um, I'm not sure I'm if not there's sure. any stars. No, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so there's a lot of people talking, and there's you can find multiple sites talking about this idea. Some people have said that, though, this is a deflection to get away from some of the negative buzz surrounding, uh, you know, surrounding Netflix and surrounding, uh, you know, some of the decisions they made with Quickster and, you know, just a lot of the controversy that was going around sort of in the middle of the summer. Um, I'm not sure if that's really the case, but it could be. I mean, what do you think, Kevin? What what, what, are your, what is your take on this bit of news? Uh, I'm a little worried because um, the two shows that are known for, you know, being brought back and becoming a big success or relative success again are um, Family Guy and Futurama. And they're both brought back for basic cable networks, you know, which is a lot more accessible than, say, something like Netflix. Yeah. Um, this is going to be the first time I something that's brought back for something as exclusive, well, exclusive ish as netflix and i wonder how it's going to do because um one of the reasons that rest development got canceled because um actually the episodes were quite expensive to make i think 1.5 million or something like that which is quite expensive for a sitcom shot in hd um so i'm wondering how netflix is going to carry the cost and whether netflix cutting the cost will affect the, the quality of the show itself and whether bringing it on something like netflix will earn enough money for netflix to keep it going and also since the show apparently according to report isn't coming back until late 20 or until 2013 one that means if the end the world ends in december 2012 we're never gonna see it yes and two um then what about the movie the movie was supposed to be in production pretty soon yeah I think, that's uh the script's ready that's a bit of uh, i i heard a couple um i think it was another podcast that i was listening to they were saying they think what's probably going to happen is that They'll use the 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 series as sort of buzz for the movie, or maybe vice versa, um, because you know it's been gone a long time, and you've got a lot mm-hmm. of people out there who just don't know what it is. Um, mm-hmm. You know, people who maybe were not watching it when it came out, who haven't really accessed it on on uh, any of the, you know the DVDs or, or the, I'm not sure if it's on Blu-ray yet, but any of the available video versions that are out there or even on streaming. Um, for the channels it's on. But I do agree with you that, you know, while I'm excited, I am kind of worried because Netflix is pretty much a stateside-only service. Mm -hmm. Um, You do get some content, some cable channel content um, abroad. You know, you can, um, I want to say, what was it, the Teen Wolf, which was the MTV sort of produced... uh, horror slash romantic uh short series that came out earlier this year was actually being shown here in hong kong um fairly mm-hmm. quickly after it was released in the states so you you know some cable stuff does make it over here but netflix has, certainly has no plans to as far as i know expand in asia right now which means you'd ultimately have to wait until anything was released on video but then if netflix is the one that's holding the rights it's really not in their best interest to 
have stuff released on video, right? Because then people right, wouldn't exactly. be streaming it. So right, and and, and you're you're right about the gap because um, Arrested Development is a show that where a lot of his humor is based on references to previous episodes or previous jokes. So how is how are they going to bring back the same type of humor? But without losing its 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 viewers, yeah, or new viewers, yeah, yeah it's gonna be difficult. I love the show. I love love love. I followed the show from the beginning, and I watched it every week when I was in the states. And I love the show to death. But uh, uh, I'm 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 a little worried uh, how how it's gonna be when it comes back. Yeah, but it's an interesting interesting model to think of if, if it's successful. If we can get more sort of international based channels ultimately working, things like Netflix. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of hopeful for this kind of an idea of a production model you know you could actually have local film directors maybe local local artists going to work for uh, channels that streamed via the web to around the world right i mean that would be the sort of the the zenith or the goal uh, uh in moving in this direction mm, well you know what i think about net I, I still don't think it's financially viable yet and and there's a lot of licensing issues and the old system, as 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 you know, as old as it seems, or as you know, old-fashioned it seems, or as it, how it's not catching up to technology as it seems, it still works when it comes to you know bringing back money or mm -hmm. or make uh, helping producers make the money they need to continue on. So uh, you know you know me about you know online streaming, but of course I hope that Netflix expands and I hope that the model will be successful elsewhere enough uh, because I heard it's expanding to the UK. Is that right, Netflix? Or something like I, that. I think they do have plans to. I think that's one of their coming areas of distribution. Right. If they're not when, there already. Yeah. So when they expand, I hope it does well because Hong Connery has something that's like early Netflix, you know, mailing DVDs to 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 homes, um, but uh, nothing online streaming yet. Right now, it's maybe uh, on demand TV on IPTVs. Um, I hope that you know the, this whole Netflix going to TV and expanding. Uh, other countries. I hope it works well enough so that you know it is financially viable for producers and also benefit beneficial to yeah. consumers like us. But you got to get away from the mail order. I mean, it's just it's old hat. It's, 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 it's bad for the it, environment. You know, you, who needs all that plastic? Well, and actually, it's, it's quite because you're recycling the same envelope and you're recycling the same thing over, and, and you don't you, you save the transportation cost going down to the rental shop, and you don't have to worry about you know these plastic boxes. And you know, I I, I think. This in Hong Kong, Hong Kong wise, mail order is great because um, one, you don't because Hong Kong has unreliable networks in places. Let's face it, um, and you know with the the recent talk about I don't know if you've heard, but there have been uh, Hong Kong networks have been talking about canceling unlimited internet because uh, you have ten percent of people abusing abusing the internet so much that they take up ninety percent of the bandwidth in Hong Kong. Yeah, that's the same argument they made in the states. It's right. They're just smelling money. That's all. There's that. That's all that is. I don't know because when it, I'm when I'm riding in MTR and and, and, and rush hour when I can't use when I'm paying twelve dollars a but month. But that's different. That's Wi-Fi. That's different. That's no, not. That's three G. It's three G. Yeah, but that's not that. That's not um, you know that that's um, what we are you talking about home networks or just three G? No, three G. Okay. The, yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. When I can't well, use three G in the MTR yeah. and paying twelve. But you know that's the but it. that's the same thing that they that AT and T did right because. Mm -hmm. With the iPhone in the States, AT&T was, the, the, the plans were like unlimited when they were the sole uh, subscriber for the iPhone. Mm -hmm. And then I, well, it was when the, the, the iPad came out or the 4 came out. 
that if you wanted to sign up for a new one, you could no longer get unlimited. You had to go now for this um, cap plan, and if you went over the cap, you had to get charged again. It's mm -hmm. it's just money, and I think that's the wrong direction to go. But that's you know that's just my thought. I mean, people were I, I was listening to a show the other day, and they were talking about the rates that people in the states are are paying for data compared to places overseas like Hong Kong, where data is still fairly cheap. Mm. Um, and well, yeah, it's just yeah. exorbitant. The point is, unless unless you have mobile networks and the technology all coming to this wonderful synergy, yeah. <laughs> you know, coming together um, in this synergy where everything works out, then you know, surely it'll be it'll be a great thing for consumers and for for content providers. But until that day, yeah, uh, we must wait. All right, uh, that's enough about Netflix and Arrested Development. Let's move on. Now, Vicky Zhao making a directorial debut. Um, yes. What what does she work? We haven't seen her lately, so. Yeah, well, Wiki Zhao, um, last seen. Well, she's going to be seen in the upcoming uh, Painted Skin Two. Uh, well, she just had a baby, so uh, mm. congratulations, by the way. Um, we know Vicky Zhao is an actress in films like Red Cliff or uh, uh, um, Painted Skin or in um, what was it? Uh, Mulan. But actually, she is a graduate student. Uh, since 2006, I'm not sure if she's graduated, but since 2006, she's been a graduate student in the depart directing department of the Beijing Film Academy. Um, actually studying under uh, fifth generation director um, Ten Zhuan Zhuan. So she is actually a trained director. So she fin she's finally making her directorial debut. Um, she will be adapting a, a novel called what, The Youth That Is Fading Away. Now, that's the English title of the novel. That's not, that, won't, that might not be the English title of the movie. Uh, it's, a role, it's a film about a female university student who, and her love affairs during that time and coming back when she's grown up and having a career and she has to choose between two men that she once loved. Um, they, they, she's already recruited. The, uh, the, the writer of Peacock and... Um, Peacock and what else? Uh, I think he was a writer on Confucius as well. He is going to be uh, Lee Chang. He's going to be writing the script. Uh, Hong Kong director Stanley Kwan is going to produce. Uh, and her spokesperson has already confirmed that she has gotten the necessary shooting permits to start shooting the film. And she will, I heard she will start uh, shooting in February. So Vicky Zhao, uh, actress, uh, mother, and now director. What do you think, Paul? Well, are, are you, you know, I... Hey, more power to her, right? But it, as I understand how film school works, and you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I kind of wish Marco Spomberg was listening, since he's mm. still very active in film school, yeah. Uh, even though he probably doesn't want to be, <laughs> um, <laughs> it just makes me wonder because I can't, I can't imagine she's the first girl or or woman to want to go through graduate film school at Beijing University, right? Mm -hmm. um, but how many fe female film directors are out there that you can count, right? I mean... The big, the big, one, the big one is, um, of course, Xu Jinglei, who, yeah. was, who was in The Warlords and actually has been a director for quite a few years now. Uh, I think, so, you know... You know, I mean, I don't want to take anything away from her, but I, I got to think there's probably some, some girls who are in film school, want to be directors, worked really hard at it, but don't have the Vicky Zhao name because they're not actresses, or even Vicky Zhao's connections. You know, because the, yeah, they don't, has they a, don't yeah. have an, they don't have the, you know, the the, the ability to be actresses because maybe they just don't have acting talent or they don't have the look of being actresses. But they just want to be directors. 
but now here's a person coming in and and kind of uh, using their clout to kind of push them aside. I don't know. Well, it's all about who you know. I mean, um, Xu Jinglei, uh, of course, has Zhang Yibai, the uh, mainland director who directed her in uh, Eternal Moment and uh, other other successful Chinese dramas. So Vicky Zhao now has Stanley Kwan. Uh, so yeah, it it is about who you know, and um, and I guess her having the Tanjong Zhuang connection and also the Stanley Kwan's a producer. Hopefully, they guide her in a good direction. You know who, you know who knows. Vicky Zhao could be. You know, China does need more. You know, female. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And I, like I say, out. more power to her. I just I got to think that there are probably some students there who feel like, you know. The, the the fame is stepping on their toes somewhere. Well, the thing is, Vicky Zhao having you know a long time, you know, really long experience as an actress, she would I think more be more familiar of how a director works and how a film set work than some of her classmates. Sure. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I again, yeah. I don't mean to take any. It's just an observation. I'm. Like, oh no, no, no! I totally know what you mean. Yeah, it is. It is kind of like as long as she as long as she makes like, films better than Mulan or Jade Goddess of Mercy, I'll be happy with whatever she does. So. <laughs> No, you're totally right because, you know, just like, you know, in China, many things is about who you know and yeah. who you are and your connections. And obviously, Vicky Zhao wouldn't be able to make a movie without even knowing whether she graduated or not, you know, without if she was just a regular film school student. Um, but, you know, we'll see, we'll see how it turns out. Yeah. And, and what I mean, her big fame was TV drama. What was that show? Uh, uh, um, I forgot the English name. Juan uh, Gogo, that was the, yeah. the about her as a little the princess, princess yeah. in the palace, or something like that. Something yeah. like that, yeah. All right, you have some other news for us? Yes. Uh, if you guys follow my blog, The Golden Rock, uh, I ha- I live blog the Golden Horse Awards uh, this past weekend. Um, a Simple Life by An Hui was uh, the big kind of the big winner with uh, best director best, uh, for An Hui. Best Actor for Andy Lau. Congratulations on the baby, by the way. And uh, Dini Yip, who also, uh, who of course, won the big award at Venice as well. Um, however, the biggest winner of the whole ceremony was Sidik Bali, the big-budget Taiwanese blockbuster. It won um, Best best Supporting Actor, uh, two technical awards, having Best Sound Effects and uh, Best Something. And of course, uh, it took the best, the biggest prize of the night, uh, Best Picture. Um a lot of, there were a lot of, a bit of controversy, uh, a lot of controversy, uh, because you know, Simple Life came in and swept the three of the four major awards, and why then? Why didn't it get Best Picture? Um, I think Cedric Bali was awarded for its ambition and for what it was able to achieve. It is the most expensive film in Taiwanese history, and at four hours long, four and a half hours long is almost the longest, I think. So f- to to be able to accomplish something um, and to be leading the way for Taiwanese cinema's revival as a commercial film industry, I think that's kind of the 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 film award equivalent of a gold star for effort. You know, taking the best picture. Um, other other major winners, um, Donnie took uh, best best action choreography for Wuxia. Um, Ko Chan Dong of uh, You're the Apple My Eye took best new performer. Uh, however, there were a lot of surprise that. Um, its director Giddens didn't pick up best best uh, best new director because um, the butcher the chef the the butcher and the swordsman's uh, Wu Shan ended up taking that award, which uh, I think caused a little bit of ruckus. Um, best original screenplay was taken by the Chinese film Return Ticket, um, and Zhang Wen's uh, Let the Bullets Fly took best adapted screenplay as well as best cinematography. Uh, Paul. Uh, Pardon, cash the awards, right? Did not know. Yeah, uh, but what do you think about 
the win. I mean, of course, no one, no one normal as us has seen A Simple Life. Apparently, uh, all of the Hong Kong Film Awards committee, uh, the Golden Horse Film Committee, uh, many festival goers overseas have, and and some Andy Lau fan who were lucky enough to pick up the tickets to the limited screenings uh, back in September have seen it, but. Us normal people haven't seen a simple life, so we can't see. We can't say how. I think good we'll get to see yet. Arrested Development first. Yes, yes, uh, we'll finally get Simple Life apparently in March, but you know, I guess they're going for the Oscar or something. It is, it is representing Hong Kong at the Oscars, and I think they're trying to claim as much awards as possible. I think we'll see Andy Lau's baby born before a Simple Life comes out. This, mm. this is ridiculous. Um, the whole, the whole awards politics. But you know, other films. What do you think about you know, like Let the Bullets Fly picking up you know best screenplay or. Um, you're yeah. the apple of my eyes, a uh, male star taking uh, best new performer. Yeah, I mean, um, good choices. I, 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 I wouldn't say they were the absolute uh, only choices that that could have won, but I agree with them. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think uh, con- con- considering that Golden Horse Awards was the award that gave Aaron Kwok best actor two years in a row, I think this year's choices have been fairly logical. Yeah. But, I mean, who's going to argue with Aaron, right? <laughs> Next year, Aaron, Lifetime Achievement Award. All right. Uh, final news story this week. Uh, what is this? Cinemas versus Zhang Yimou in China. Yes. Uh, this is based on a, a report uh, on Film Business Asia that um, I contributed to. Kind of uh, sounds like the podcast. title of a YouTube video. No, this, this is literally... Uh, a versus uh, event because okay what what's happening is um Zhang Yimou's uh Flowers of War is the most expensive film in China uh, produced in China ever um so its producer Zhang Weiping and 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 their the, the the production company they're trying as hard as possible to get their money back which includes you know publishing a book um a direct distribution deal in or a, a revenue sharing deal in the United States um and a big awards push uh for the Oscars um and what the new new tactics that are coming up is um, how are they dealing with cinemas in China. Because how cinemas work in China is that um, they have a minimum ticket price for a certain film, meaning that uh, when it comes to discount tickets and group tickets, cinemas cannot charge lower than, than the established minimum ticket price. Uh, the last film that, that took that record was uh, uh, 35 yuan. That was for Aftershock. So now Zhang Weiping, the producer, wants to raise that to 40 yuan for major cities. So there's three, three tiers of cities in China. That's first tier, second tier, and third tier. So they, he wanted to raise the ticket, minimum ticket price by 5 yuan for all, all categories, which means it will be $40, uh, 40 yuan, 35 yuan, and 30 yuan. And also, he wants to take two extra percent or two higher, uh, 2% more of the revenue that goes in the cinemas, uh, meaning that he would take 45% while cinemas take 55% instead of the old 43-57 ratio. So this has pissed off cinemas so much because um, a minimum 40 yuan ticket price meaning that uh, means that the group tickets that they, they already sold at 35 yuan, they'll have to claim the extra 5 yuan per ticket back. And also they will have to raise um, ticket prices pretty much all around. And now essentially there's a possibility that People have to pay a hundred yuan for the fl- to see the flowers of war, which is ridiculous because uh, I just heard a news report last week that Shenzhen is planning to raise their minimum wage to fifteen hundred yuan a month, which tells you how much how little that Chinese people make and how much they have to pay to watch a movie. Mm. Um, so this has pissed off uh, local cinemas a lot, and uh, to the point where 
um, the eight cinema chain, the the top eight cinema chains of China, were actually threatening to boycott the film. So uh, there were a big round of like, negotiations held last week, and um, they finally came to a, a so-called settlement uh, where um, the the share, the ratio will remain the same. Um, no, actually, no. The, the ratio goes back down to to fifty five or fifty forty seven, fifty seven forty three, but the minimum price goes back up to four. It's still is still remaining at at forty, um, and it seems like that that cinemas will not be boycotting the film, even though audiences will end up paying more after all for this film. However, there was a little bit of twist uh, earlier this week that um, actually not all the chains have signed yet, so. So you know it, this this issue might not have been settled yet. So we'll have to see on de- uh, December sixteenth uh, whether uh, Flowers of War will actually be playing in Chinese cinema. Um, this is a very important issue because one it shows um, this kind of new conflict going on between between producers or or production companies or studios and cinemas in this in this burgeoning cinema industry and kind of how they're working. Out this growing pains where who has the power, you know, the people that exhibit the film or the people that make the film, um, and also um, how much power, how the market, how the market will be working in general and things like that. Um, I, I have a, a lot more detailed entry on my blog. You can read the Film Business Asia uh, report as well, um, especially what Zhang Yi, Zhang Weiping said about why they raising ticket prices. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting issue, I think. Um, Actually, do you know any Paul? Do you know any other place except Hong Kong that raises ticket price for for you know bigger and longer films other than than Hong Kong? Because well, I Kong, mean, uh, you yeah. know, the U.S. they raise their prices pretty much every season, right? You know, it's like every summer once the big blockbusters roll in, it, it, prices go up fifty cents or twenty five cents or or whatever what you know whatever the the they estimate they want to go up in terms of inflation and whatnot. Um, but I'm surprised about this because, you know, a lot of the news, if you look at follow China's economic news, the government's like trying to keep inflation under wraps. And I mean, you start charging people more for their entertainment and that's going to filter over to other areas. Right. Right. And I, I think this already has a backlash among netizens who know the news. They already talk because um, Trey Hark's uh, Flying Sword Drag Gate opened the same day and they are essentially... Um, Challenging uh, Zhang Yimou directly by saying that we're keeping our minimum ticket price at thirty-five, thirty, twenty-five, meaning that we have a three D film here. And this and we is, this is the Christian deal. Bale film, right? Yes, this is a Christian Bale film. I mean, is uh, he the, the, is he the lead? Film. Yes, he is actually the lead. The film is sixty percent English and forty percent in Mandarin, I believe. So I mean, it's like, you know, I. This is this is expected to be the highest grossing Chinese film ever. Uh, this will this is expected to beat Let the Bullets Fly, but I think. But why? 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 Why can they? I mean, does does the Chinese public love Christian Bale that much? I don't think so. I don't think so either. So they're selling, you know. I mean, Zhang, yeah, he's Batman. He's cool. I mean, you know, it's but this isn't the Dark Knight. I mean, yeah, which is funny because the Batman films also never opened in China <laughs> officially. So I mean, I'm wondering whether. What, what they're hinging on in China, what they're so, what is Zhang Weiping's position here? Why is he so arrogant about how much he knows his film is going to make? I mean, Zhang Yimou's name? I mean, Zhang Yimou has never made something this big. Zhang Yimou has never made something that make that much money. Yeah, it's, it's almost interesting, this arrogant position that the, 
I think John Wayne even said that theaters are essentially they're trying to he's trying to overpower the exhibitor by saying, you know, cinemas are only places for seats for empty seats. It sounds like this could very well turn out to be uh, Zhang Yimou's Ishtar. Yeah, uh, this could be it. Um, if it doesn't deliver, uh, actually, word of mouth is okay from preview screenings, but I mean, with with the ticket price this high, and you know, with Trey Hart's 3D movie eventually uh, potentially uh, um, with tickets cheaper than this 145 minute war film in 2D about Nanjing Massacre, the Nanjing Massacre. I mean, if I had to choose between a 3D movie Trey Hark and a, and and a Zhang Yimou war film starring Batman, you know, I would personally, and I only have 100 yen to spend, I would go with the 3D movie. Yeah. So this is gonna be it's gonna be interesting come Christmas. Um, Derek E's great magician is, is already dodging out of the way because this battle is too big for them. So this this um, Christmas is gonna He's be doing really a vanishing act. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah, uh, so- and for audience, for for curious audience, if you if you're too young to get the Ishtar reference, um, let me put it in in more recent terms. I guess would be Waterworld, right? Right. Um, right. This, or this- even uh, Cutthroat Island. Cutthroat Island. That's the Rennie Harlan um, movie the, with uh, Gina Davis. I like I like that movie. Yeah, but it, it was it's known as one of the biggest flops in history. Is it? Uh, yeah, I, I remember I really liked that one. I don't know. That was like Pirates of the Caribbean before we had Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, it's not a bad movie. It's just uh, one of the biggest flops in in, mm. in the history of cinema. That's the problem. So yeah, this this could blow back, uh, blow in, uh, blow up in uh, Zhang Weiping and Zhang Yimou's face. Uh, the more the, the harder stance they take, and, and the more sure they are at this breaking records and making tons of money, I think the more likely it's going to blow up in their face. But we'll see. Um, it's the, the release is coming less than a month away, so uh, I'm going to be looking closely at the box office figures and what people say about this. Um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting Christmas. Yeah, so Matthew in the chat room has pointed out that Waterworld was 16 years ago. So, uh, I don't know. Oh, has, great. There, has, too. has there been a, uh, a major bomb since then for any directors that you can think of? I think we even called Green Lantern the last great bomb. Yeah. <laughs> oh, great, Green Lantern is actually Green Lantern quite... was a green bomb, that's for sure. A green 3D bomb. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what they say about green bombs? Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's. We, we've got an East Green film to talk about this week, and that is the new Jeff Lau film, um, East Meets West. Or is it East Meets West 2011? I, I'm not really clear because I've seen it, the English title, differently on different sites. I know that the Chinese title has 2011 in it. Uh, not so sure about the English title. Um, I'm not even going to try and explain this film, Kevin. I'm going to leave it to you. Really? Okay. East meets West Green. Uh, (laughs) Sorry, I had to go there. Uh, East meets West. Um, Originally, this was called, in Chinese, it's still called uh, Eagle Shooting Heroes 2011. So it kind of sets the tone for what it is. It's it's essentially about a big ensemble cast coming together, uniting as a a big force or, you know, all fighting each other, things like that. Um, It's, um, but it has nothing to do with Ashes of Time, or nor uh, Ego Shooting Heroes. It's just kind of setting the tone. Uh, the film stars. Uh, where do I start? Kenny B, <laughs> the, <laughs> the the member, of course, a uh, big star in the eighties, uh, star of films as uh, My Heart Is That Internal Rose, and also known as a member of the band, seventies band Winners, playing himself. Yes, he's playing an alternate uh, version of himself, 
uh, who is kind of a has-been pop star, uh, now now uh, slumming um, in theme park in theme park rides is like Vampire and and Little Jobs, um, and he is one. He wants to make it big. He always talk about how he um, responds, how uh, seven million Hong Kongers are watching him, and he still thinks he's a big star. Uh, his daughter is played by Karen Mock. Um, who is kind of a wild, uh, I don't believe in love, uh, gothic girl. Um, and one day, um, Kenny B's wife, a uh, young wife played by Huan Yi, apparently gets into trouble with um, a rich man because she promised a winner's reunion and can't deliver. So it's up to fake Kenny B and his daughter to, to go and rescue Huan Yi. And in the process, they meet the rich uh, real estate developer, um, Chow Chong, Chow Chong, played by Ethan Chen, uh, on the way up to to rescue um, um, this this Kenny B's wife. They also meet uh, various characters: uh, taxi driver, played by William So, um, a starving artist, played by Sitar Tang, uh, and of course, uh, who is actually a rich girl who is protected by uh, a little. J C Chan, uh, who is kind of like the the, the bodyguard, uh, in the process they also run into uh, a mute Egin Chan, as a as a I guess a bun maker and his son played by Echoes of Rainbows Buzz Chong. Um, after some adventures, uh, they realize that um, they come together to form apparently to to what's the word? They they have a destiny. Uh, apparently, they they the seven of them make up a group of warriors that essentially fights. The evil eighth warrior, uh, generation after generation after generation, and this is their the new this is their reincarnation. This generation, their their role, their destiny is to become superheroes and protect the the innocent. <laughs> I mean, I don't have much more to say about that. And it goes and it goes from there. Um, this is actually Jeff Jeff Lau's brand of humor. It's it's totally energetic. It's hi, it's hyper. Um, Jokes are flying through the air, and you either get it or you don't. Um, I caught onto it really quickly, and I love this movie. I love the humor. Um, essentially, the easiest way to talk about this is Jeff Lau doing superhero movies. You don't have to worry about the wuxia stuff, you know. Uh, you know, like Eagle Eagle Shooting Heroes, which is a, a take on, which is a parody of Edges of Time. Here, you don't have to worry about it. It just takes that kind of vibe, the wuxia kind of vibe and brings all these people together and they become this, these, a group of modern superheroes. It's kind of like kick-ass, but except they rep real superpowers. Um, a lot of inspired moments. Just, you know, Kenny B playing himself is, is already brilliant for me. Um, it's kind of Kenny B playing up his own image as a, as a has-been big pop star and I thought it was hilarious. Uh, also, Mute Egan Chan who spends um, the first half of the movie covered in flour because he's a he's a he's a he's a bun maker, um, and you know things like that. I really loved it. Loved the first half of the film. Um, it also doesn't have that kind of random gags, throwing random gags at a at a very bare plot nature of uh, just another Pandora's box. It's only just another Pandora's box. It didn't really have much of a. It just went from one one sketch to another and kind of had a plot that connected it. It's a little different here. There's actually a, a story here from beginning to end. Um, and I kind of enjoy that. It, it made more. It, it's the most coherent Jeff Lau film I think in years. Um, the ensemble of heroes is great. You have you know Karen Mock is really game. Just, I think Karen Mock has done a comedy in a long time, hasn't she? Um, no. I mean, the last thing she was in was Road Less Traveled. Right, and that um, definitely was not a comedy. before that. I can't really think of uh, 
I mean, she she got her first comedic roles under um, well, Jeff Lau's produced uh, Stephen Chow movies, yeah. and of course, uh, Chinese Odyssey and God of Cookery, and she's really. It, it, this one kind of reminds you how great of a of a comical com- comedy actress she can be. Uh, she has really good moments, uh, really good hyper moments, and um, Ekin Chan was great because uh, he has no lines, but he so it's all him and. There's this whole thing where um, William So, the taxi driver, says, you know, I don't understand anything you're saying. What the hell? Um, that, that I thought was really funny. J.C. Chan was great um, as the as the coward coward uh, bodyguard of uh, the rich girl. Uh, apparently, his, superpo- his, his superpower is really inconsistent, so he turns into a different flawed character every time. Um, and I thought that was hilarious. Uh, of course, there was also the irony of um, Jonathan Lee, a Taiwanese musician who is known as the godfather of music, playing a stern rich father who is against her daughter playing music. I think the irony here, I thought it was funny. Um, anyway, Jeff Lau is, is um, very much a master of blending really poignant romance messages uh, into his comedy. And even though it does drag a little bit um, here, uh, I think the message in the end still is still quite effective. Uh, it's quite touching. Um, and finally, after Kung Fu Cyborg, Chinese Tall Story, and even to an extent, just another Pandora's box, uh, with just another Pandora's box in this film, he seemed to have finally balanced um, storytelling and special effects. Um, it, it does have a lot of special effects, but doesn't go really over the top. It doesn't overwhelm the storytelling here. Uh, at least, you know, it's all relative. So it's, it might still be a little too hyper for people. It might still not make much sense to people. But uh, in terms of Jeff Lau, I think this is quite a good balance. Um, quite surprised how much Cantonese Hong Kong humor there is. Um, there's a joke about winners member that you have to know if you follow the, the public profile of winners the, or their individual members. Um, and, you know, little, little bits of Cantonese humor, you know, like they, they talk about the meeting of the two dim sums, the two types of dim sums in the beginning. You know, I laughed a lot at that. This is really strange because essentially East meets West would not be possible without mainland funding. And Jeff Lau is bigger, is more popular in the mainland than in Hong Kong. So uh, it's quite ironic that he's made this Cantonese Hong Kong heavy comedy that is essentially made for the mainland. Um, I do have a, a, a feeling that he's making movies for the Guangdong or the Southern regions where his brand of comedy is a lot bigger than say in the North, uh, in Beijing where Mandarin based humor, like Feng Xiaogan is a lot more popular, uh, things like that. But you know, it, it was quite a pleasant surprise. Um, and if you're wondering, and it's not a movie for it's not a movie for everyone. Uh, it's a movie I enjoyed a lot, so I say see it. But if you're not so sure, um, essentially watch the first 50, 15 minutes as a limit litmus test of some kind. If you can stand the first fifteen minutes, then you're into it. And if you're not, then the rest of the movie will lose you. So you won't want to give up. Uh, but personally, I liked it a lot. I think it's my one of my top ten uh, considering the quality of this year's films. Paul, uh, would you like to make sense? Of this movie yeah. as well, it's um, it's a it's a hard movie to make sense of unless you are in on a lot of the, the stuff that's going on here. In in a lot of ways, it's like, uh, eagle eagle shooting heroes or just another Pandora's box in that sense. Um, I think if you're somebody coming from the outside, that has no knowledge of of, of any of the context, um, this movie might be a little bit draggy. Um, and, and it might take a while to kind of get into it. The story is easily understandable, as, as you described it. It's basically, um, there are these, uh, they, they described them as dragons, but then later they described them as immortals, you know, Chinese immortals. 
Yeah. And, and basically, there's they they've come to Earth to protect humanity. Um, their spirits are immortal, but their bodies, the bodies they inhabit, can can die. Um, one of them's turned evil and spends, you know, every generation trying to kill the seven others. And um, they've done this for thousands of years. Right? And so that's the basic plot. Every generation, the characters have to have an awakening to kind of sort of discover themselves again. And then battle battles ensue and the whole cycle continues. Um, so you add that and then you throw in a lot of gags. And what you get is, is East meets West. Um, Kenny B as himself is just awesome. If you <laughs> know who Kenny B is. If you don't, not going to make a lot of sense. Yeah, and that's really one of the key aspects of the film, right? Is is just him riffing on on himself in, in sort of this. It's it's sort of like um, to describe it in, in Western popular culture, Will Wheaton appearing on um, uh, The Big Bang Theory, playing himself um, as sort of a jerky Will Wheaton, right? Who, and he's probably not really that jerky in real life. It's just sort of this exaggeration of himself. I mean, you lost me there, too. <laughs> that, that he's allowed to play. Will Wheaton was Wesley Crusher on uh, Star Trek. Um, and so he's, he's gone on to become a blogger and, and uh, to sort of become an internet celebrity and, and a gaming celebrity and sort of create his own little niche post uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. Well, um, I, I guess as someone who grew up with, with both of Kenny B's image, I should explain a little bit. Um, in the 90s, or up from the 80s to the 90s, Kenny B uh, was married to uh, Teresa. Teresa, what's her name? Uh, anyway, her, him him and his wife were one of the most best-known celebrity couples in Hong Kong. It wasn't Teresa Carpio, most... was it? No, no, no. And Teresa. <laughs> Teresa. Nah, not Teresa Carpio. Come on. <laughs> um, no, they were one of the most harmonious or the best most popular salary couples uh, through the 90s until they had a really messy divorce. Um, really, really messy divorce. And the wife essentially went on to become kind of a tabloid tabloid figure, tabloid celebrity, while Kenny B is, you know, kind of in the dating scene. And, yeah, it's kind of funny watching Kenny B, this former, you know, Mr. Mr. You know, family, uh, now now flashing back to, to the past when he's, when he's, you know, dating his daughter's daughter's best friend or married his daughter's best friend yeah it's the play up of that the kennedy image yeah. um well you know so there's that aspect uh, in terms of the other characters i liked them but i felt that there was quite a bit that was uneven in mm -hmm. just what the story was trying to do um sometimes i felt it was it was going for action sometimes i felt it was going for humor um sometimes i wasn't sure what it was going for and not that that's not okay, because you can find that in a lot of Jeff Lau work. It's just some of the moments didn't really seem to match from from you know se segment to segment. Um, the, and and what's up with the East meets West title, right? <laughs> I mean, I understand that uh, he's using the China the Chinese title is basically the same as Eagle Shooting Heroes, um, but where is the East? There there is no East meets West here. This is all taking place in China. There's no you know, it's it's just it doesn't seem relevant as a title. Perhaps it's the Western idea of superheroes meeting, you know, Eastern culture. Uh, maybe, maybe, kind of yeah, maybe. Uh, I didn't think of it like that, but could could be. Um, it, Steffi though was awesome. Oh yeah, uh, uh, Steffi has a uh, not a main a major part, but a, but a minor part, and she's kind of a villainess here, which is kind of awesome. Um, and William So, where the heck has he been? 
<laughs> right? I I mean, the last time I saw him, he was doing those sort of those like low budget Happy Valley, uh, romantic comedy movies, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of stuff going direct to video, and then he just kind of disappeared. And and he he shows up here like really kind of mugging it up and and in in a role you wouldn't expect to see him in. And I thought he was great too. Um, the, the background plot though does take a while to get going because. Uh, you have to be introduced to all of these characters, and then you slowly uncover uh, more about them as things push forward. And that does take a while to sort of sort of get rolling and, and get things going. And actually, that's my favorite part of the film because then you have all these crazy zany adventures yeah. of how, and you wonder. It's kind of like a Simpsons episode where you have all these undisconnect, not connected threads coming together, yeah, and then finally, fine. you know, finding out. But it it does take a while for because there's so many characters, you know, there there's yeah. seven of them, and and the missing eighth one, um, but yeah, the the visuals here are what really kind of caught my attention, drew me in. There there's some nice moments of visual imagery that's kind of based in in some ways on traditional Chinese mythology, but sort of modern, I don't know, postmodern, fancy schmancy, artistic variants of that, <laughs> right? Um, and, and it was really nice. It really, I thought it really worked for, for what they were trying to do. Um, these, the, the superheroes are superhero spoofs in a sense, right? They're, 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 they're making fun of superheroes in some ways, but they are in fact acting like superheroes. Um, and the, 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 the nature of what he ends up dealing with though here in terms of the, the romance issue is kind of the same stuff that he's been dealing with forever and uh i think uh kenneth in in the chat room he asked you know is is this basically jeff lao channeling his past successful films or plots or concepts and i'd I'd say yeah i mean you know the whole that there's this whole lost love and longing aspect that's taken right out of chinese odyssey and it's it's kind of taken out of a, a little bit of pandora's box too you know it's like these characters who don't really realize they're in love until they do, and then they can't be. Um, he's always kind of playing with that. Um, and, I think and, for that, I think we call Jeff Lau kind of a romance, romance altair for that, because for, of, of dealing the same concept in different forms. I think, and and the way he explores it, I think is quite. It's quite. I don't know. I I. I it didn't At seem that different to me. I mean, it's it's yeah, it's kind of in a different package, but the the basic core idea is still there. Well, yeah, but for um, that, that makes him kind of an auteur on that subject. Okay, if you know what I mean. Yeah. yeah. Um, but when push comes to sho- shove, for me, I'd say this is nowhere near as fun as Eagle Shooting Heroes, the original, mm-hmm. um, which I just watched again last night, um, and just sort of to refresh my memory. And that is just so crazy, over the top. This tries to sort of fall in that same mold by packing it with stars and everything, but it just doesn't reach that level of zaniness and that level of craziness. And while there is a lot of sort of in-joke humor in the original, there's just a lot of physical humor and a lot more crazy sort of down-to-earth humor in that one, too. Um, and that one can, can be hard to understand, too, because that one is really based on sort of the uh, Louis Cha or the, the I think it's, uh, it's Louis Cha, right? Or Gum Young, who, yeah, yeah. Yeah. who wrote the original Eagle, Eagle Shooting Heroes and the Return of the Condor Heroes series. And so that one is really kind of based more specifically on, on segments of, of that. And there are so, just so many characters 
taken from that, and then it's riffing on um, some other popular culture things too. Just in many of the same ways that Pan just another Pandora's box does, you know, it, it, that's riffing on much more contemporary stuff like Red Cliff and and a lot of other films as well. And if you haven't seen those, if you haven't been exposed to those, you probably won't get um, a, a lot of the humor that that's going on there. Um, but yeah, it's just got a a lot of uh, just a lot of energy going through it, um, and and that's you know pretty typical for Jeff Lau stuff. This one I didn't really feel as much energy as as just another Pandora's box. Because um, like I said, for me it was a little bit uneven. There were moments and then they'd pull back from those moments and then they would kind of get semi-serious for a bit. Um, or they'd talk about the backstory for a bit and then they'd get a little bit crazy again. And then, oh, here comes the love story. And, and so it was just kind of like riding a wave uh, in some ways. Um, but I'd say, you know, ultimately, see it for fans of Jeff Lau. Um, it's, it's certainly not his worst, um, but I wouldn't put it up there as his best. Um, but for other folks, I mean, if you're, if you're brave, you want to do a little bit of Wikipedia reading on Kenny B, um, you can TV it. Yeah. Should we agree that at least this is better than uh, Fantastic Water Babes and Kung Fu Cyborg? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. The, the, I mean, this is, this is definitely in the better half of his work. Whereas uh, Water Babes is way down there. <laughs> um, Kung Fu Cyborg 2. Pretty bad stuff, that. All right. Um, yeah, Kenneth, Kenneth mentioned some of his earlier stuff. Uh, Haunted, Cop, Haunted Cop Shop. Operation Pink Squad. Love that one. Uh, Mortuary Blues. Yeah, good stuff. Um, he says, I don't get one iota of eagle shooting heroes, but the energy is fun. And Tony Lung does turn into a frog yeah um no it's a frog that character of uh, oh yang fang he's famous for his frog style kung fu <laughs> in the original um in the original story and then ultimately the character who's the main character of um of uh the the sequel return of the condor heroes uh, i think his name's guo yi he ends up uh because cause that character goes crazy at some point and when he gets older, um, gets poisoned or something. And so he ends up teaching uh, Guo Yi some, some of those frog moves uh, early on. And so there's like this continuation of, of some of that. But seeing Tony Long play that character was funny. Um, and that mm -hmm. character also served as, the, as part of the uh, inspiration for the villain in Kung Fu Hustle. Because he does some of those uh, frog moves too. Yeah, when you start explaining the little, the, the, everything that connects decades of Jeff Lau movies, it's yeah, just, it's it'll just, be like, it's, yeah. It's, it's, that like shows how smart he is writing about, an encyclopedia. You know, references. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's so full A lot of, of references. cultural context. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. We could go on. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, Kenneth, I confused you again. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, I was totally like, what, 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 uh, I had you, uh, no, 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 no. Um... Actually, there's a, there's a, if you're really, really interested in like Louis Cha, uh, Gamyong stuff, they released a DVD set of Eagle Shooting Heroes and Return of the Condor Heroes, the old ones. The Return of the Condor Heroes set is um, Andy Lau and I can't remember the actress. 
who did it. Um, He's a retired actress. Yeah. Not not, not uh, knowing that's working now. And uh, she uh, is uh, Chow Yun-Fat's old girlfriend is what she's kind of known for. Um, but yeah, they were in the sequel. And then uh, I can't remember the guys who were in the the first part. But Felix Wong did the first part, wasn't he? Did he? I think it's, well, he's one yeah, of them anyway. Yeah, yeah so. <laughs> and and they've re- redone them so many times. I mean, I know that it was uh, Louis Koo did did a later version of it, but um, I really like the Andy Lau one. I've seen that series, and there's um, there's an animated version too that was sort of a co-production with Japan, I want to say, of Return of the Condor Heroes. Also, as a DVD set that has uh, English subs, but they net they didn't do the first series for the cartoon set. Just they just did the sequel series. Um, but that's pretty good too. Uh, if you can get a hold of that, that's a pretty that's pretty pricey. But I I got that one through um, um, Yes Asia, of all places. I don't know if you Yay. guys still have it in stock. Um, you might, yeah. you might. But actually, I bought a bunch of those last year at a at a at a factory sale nearby the office. So. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, if um, if if you're really interested, you can look for. Um, Return of the Condor Heroes and the Eagle Shooting Heroes TVB dramas of of old, and but they're kind of hard to watch now because the effects back then. This is like 1980s, kind of cheesy, um, kind of hard to sit through. But if you like looking at the actors of that era, that's fine. But the animation, yeah, you, the animated version is really good. Yeah, one of them even has a uh, Stephen Chow playing uh, a murdered henchman and Francis Ng playing multiple roles as extras. Yeah. In in yeah so. Always fun. West Green this week, we have got one film to talk about, and that is the latest from Steven Spielberg, The Adventures of Tintin, um, based on the popular comic book from Belgian artist um, Herge, if I'm saying that correctly, I don't know, that could be Herge, Herge, um, <clears throat> uh, also, European here, so yeah. we should, yeah. also known as, uh, as uh, Jorge Remy, I believe, or George's Remy, I, I, I'm so bad with pr- name pronunciation. Help us out, Kenneth. Um, <clears throat> but this is the 3D remake, uh, from not really a remake, but adaptation of these very famous comic books, uh, directed by Steven Spielberg, produced by Peter Jackson, written by Stephen Moffat, Edgar Wright, and Joe Cornish. 
Um, and it basically takes three of the comic books series, uh, one called The uh, Crab with the Golden Claws, um, The Secret of the Unicorn, and Red Rackham's Treasure, and sort of mashes them up, combines them into one. And these were written quite some time ago, back in the 1940s, actually. So the character's been around. It's a beloved character um, amongst people who like comic strips and comic books, and, and uh, it's kind of got an older style of art, you know, sort of a... Um, kind of from the Annie era, in, in if I could uh, try and compare it with a, a similar type of art, but certainly the stories themselves are a lot more in-depth or uh, a lot more, maybe even a, a more adult than the Annie cartoons were. Um, but basically the plot is about a young journalist who's named Tintin. Uh, he has a pet dog, a white little, I'm, I'm not sure what, what kind of breed that was, a schnauzer or uh, what would you call that, Kevin? I know nothing about dogs. <laughs> yeah, it's, it it kind of looks like a little little schnauzer, I guess. Um, yeah. But he's, he's called, them, but don't know thing about called Snowy. They live in a in a European town, and um, basically Tintin is, works as a reporter, and he goes around and investigates things, and his investigations often lead him into trouble. Um, and so during one such investigation, he, uh, well, not really investigation, he's, he's out on a day on the town, he visits a market, and he buys this um, nice you know, sort of ship in this model ship in, in a glass case. And then suddenly everybody's asking him, you know, about the ship. They want to buy the ship off of him. Um, and that just piques his curiosity. You know, why is everybody so interested in this ship? Um, he later comes to learn that actually this ship is part of a long-lost secret that involves um, several other characters, um, including... Uh, Andy Serkis, uh, the uh, actor who's well-known for playing CG roles. Uh, he played Gollum in Lord of the Rings. Uh, he, he worked in King Kong. Uh, he basically does a whole lot of motion capture stuff. He was, uh, he was Caesar in the um, Planet of the Apes movie uh, earlier this year. Um, and he, Andy Serkis here plays Captain Haddock, um, who's uh, the, related to the Haddock family, who's sort of tied up in this mystery. And so in trying to uncover this mystery, um, Tintin travels pretty much all over the world. Um, and he comes into conflict with another character named Ivan Ivanovich uh, Sakharin, um, who's, for, for some reason, he's also sort of on the trail of, of, of this mystery, and the two end up at odds. Um, and you've, and uh, that person, that character is voiced by Daniel Craig, uh, who does a very nice job. I didn't really recognize his voice in, in that role. Um, you've also got some cameos, people like Simon Pegg and Nick Frost as the uh, detectives, Thompson and Thompson. Um, I see further down on the list, Carrie um, Elwes, who's, uh, if I say his last name correctly, um, from The Princess Bride. Um, he's got a very kind of small role here. I'm surprised he wasn't he didn't have a bigger part. Um, uh, but he has a small part in the film as well. Um, and what can you say? It's a Steven Spielberg movie. Uh, it, it basically plays out like a modern day, uh, or not, because re it's not really modern day. It's it's set in a, in a earlier European period, but it's like a it's like a new generation version of indie Indiana Jones, <laughs> um, and uh, I thought it was great. I mean, it feels totally Spielbergian. So if you don't like what Spielberg does in things like Indiana Jones or in some of his action set pieces, you're probably not going to like Tintin very much. But he has some great action set pieces. Some of it actually reminds me of Hong Kong cinema. 
Um, some of some of the some of the stuff that they go through reminds me of some early Jackie Chan stuff. Um, there's this just this crazy chase scene where they've got these um, three little paper maps, and there's uh, villains chasing it. There's this bird that's involved, and then Tintin's chasing it, and it just goes all through this sort of this Moroccan town, and it's just crazy. Um, and it's the kind of stuff that you can do very well with this medium, with animation. Uh, the animation is really top-notch, but there are a few moments of Uncanny Valley because they've really sort of taken the Tintin character and brought him to life, and they've taken the other characters and brought them to life and created a sense of realism, but they've also kept the artistic style um, of the original artist. And on some of the characters, it just looks kind of weird and odd, what the, this, this idea that's called sort of the Uncanny Valley. And there's one character in particular, this woman who ends up singing um, at, at this one point, and I just, she just creeped me out. I mean, she, I just was like staring at her, and, and, I, and it broke the movie for me at that point. You know, it sort of, um, it took me out of the film, because just looking at her, she looked so very weird. She was like real, but not real. And she looked wrong in some ways, and part of that was because of the, the characterization, the style of the characters, but there was more to it, and it, I just, my brain wasn't working at that point when she was on screen. The other characters, I didn't really have um, a big problem with, and Tintin looks great. Um, both Tintin and, and his pet Snowy, um, very good characters. I really was rooting for them. I really liked um, them as sort of the, the central characters. I liked his sort of aggressive, inquisitive, go get em attitude. Um, the 3D, though, was sort of a non-issue. I didn't really get into it. Um, I would have preferred to see a non-3D film. I went to a early show so I could mitigate the cost, so I wouldn't recommend 3D as a necessity for this film, but see it on a big screen because it looks great. It's It's got great color. Um, they do change locations, the different locations they go to. They go from um, this European town, they go to the ocean, um, they're on a ship, they're in, in a desert at one point. Um, they just travel all over, and the different locations have different color tones, and it's just, it, it's a beautiful work of art to look at, really. Um, I'd love to see more. Uh, I hope the film does well. I want the film to do well, because I could really see, I'd love to see a trilogy of these films. I'd love for this to be the Indiana Jones for the for a new generation. Um and I guess the true success is that, you know, the film has got me interested to go and, and look at the books and, and read these stories. Um, it's, it's kind of, you know, inspired me that much that I want to go and find out more uh, about this character. Um, and the interesting thing, too, is that this is kind of coming sandwiched between two films of cartoon characters also being taken into the 3D uh, CGI world, if you will. Um, we've got, we had Smurfs earlier this year, and we've got Alvin uh, a little bit later. And while those films are sort of hybrid films, where you've got 3D characters and you've got live actors, and this is a true 3D film, I just think it's interesting to see the different approaches that people can take with an intellectual property that was at one time a cartoon and successfully turn it into something that's just an amazing sort of big, epic holiday film. Um, and I think it's a great holiday film. This was the, I, this was what I was hoping to see. This was, it was the film I was hoping it would be in more. And I like these kind of films around Thanksgiving. I, these are the kinds of films I like to see 
during the holiday. They, they help get me in the holiday mood. They, they help me know that, okay, yeah, it's the holidays are here, you know, and what else, what else is going to be out there for me to watch? Um, so yeah, I was, I really liked it. Um, I'd say definitely see it. It's a great holiday feature. It's, it's got some violent moments, I would say. Um, so maybe not really for young, young kids, but, but I'd no say, blood. yeah, there, there's no real blood, but there is some, there's some fighting and there's some gunshots and, mm-hmm. and things like this. Um, so maybe not really, not, not quite there for the youngest kids, but, um, if you've got, you know, tweens or, or older, um, I think they'd get into it. Kevin, what was your take on it? Cause you saw uh, it in China. Yes. I saw it in China on IMAX 3D. Um, but yeah, I did talk, I did watch it in the middle of a bunch of talking kids, many, many talking kids. Uh, so I was distracted obviously at points, especially when I, you know, was trying to listen to the English dialogue and it is kind of a, the plot, there is a lot to follow. Let's face it, at least, especially for a bunch of kids that have to read subtitles at, at 10 in the, on a Sunday morning. So, uh, they were a little distracted and they distracted me in turn, but, um, Anyway, this this is Spielberg's first animated film, right? I think. Um, I think he might have produced some stuff, but I yeah, think in terms just... of directorial stuff, this is this is his first. Yeah, um, I think it works better than the Robert Zemeckis motion capture stuff. Um, the the humans are a little more convincing this time. The well, th- of course, with technology advancing, so naturally it would look better. Um, he goes crazy with the visuals. Uh, we know that Spielberg is a master of the camera. Um, yeah, and he also ha- he also has a lighting credit because um, I, I stayed through the end credits to see if there's anything at the end. And way down on the list, he's like the also the lighting consultant. And I thought, oh, that's kind of weird. You know, it's like yeah, yeah, because yeah. you you they these films now they bring on you know actual real film cinematographers as lighting to make sure the lighting's all right, to make sure it looks as realistic as possible. Uh, I think Michael Kahn, who's editor, I think also brought on um, Janusz Kaminski, who is his uh, usual cinematographer, as the lighting consultant when they were uh, doing, doing post-production, especially the lighting. Um, so so it, 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 it does its best to try to look like a real film. Some really wild camera movements, uh, some really good transitions, and um, a lot of good details. You can even see the dust particles in certain scenes. Sorry, sorry I've got to jump in just because <laughs> this is making me laugh, and I don't want to forget it. Uh, Matthew in the chat room said, Don't worry. Spielberg will change the guns to walkie-talkies for the special edition DVDs. <laughs> They're going to walkie-talkie people to death. Between him and Lucas, I'll tell you what, DVDs are going to be the death of me. Well, let's face Spielberg did say he regrets. He regrets changing the guns, uh, replacing the, the guns and walkie-talkies in ETA. He promised never to do it again. So I, I trust Spielberg. Mm. You know, if anyone is trustworthy in terms of, you know, talking about not, revi- not doing revision on his films, I trust Spielberg. I'm sorry. If, if you can't trust Spielberg, there is no one to trust. Yeah, well, we'll wait and see. You know, I'm still waiting. 20 years from now, he might want to, you know, take Schindler's lists and, and change the Nazis into aliens or something. I don't know. Those are happy gas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Okay. But, yeah, did you notice when you watched, because you watched it on, like, a big-ish screen. Yes. Right? Walk. Did you notice that? how detailed the anime i mean I, you see the dust particles as yeah i see yeah that's really impressive stuff um especially in 3d um like you said the the, the chase down the moroccan the hillside town that's done in one take that was ama- amazing to watch 
Um, that was almost worth the price of admission. And now that you talk about you know how great the film is, I am interested to watch it in two D when I'm in Japan, so I might catch it again just to see it in the right color because three D you know makes the screen dim. Yeah. So um, that I'm, I'm looking forward to watching that one take again. It's amazing. It's something that it's the only shot that really uh, justifies the use of animation because I think the rest of the film will be equally amazing in in live action. Uh, I think Spielberg might even done better. Um, it would be more amazing in, in, visually in terms of if we, if we can pull it off in live, live action, even without this chase. Um, however, the plot did leave me a little cold. It is a procedural, procedural detective story, and it goes from one place to another. Um, the humor works, um, but it left me a little cold because there was so much exposition going on, uh, and I have the kids distract me around, around me. Um, you know, Spielberg, Spielbergian adventures, you know, like Raiders of the Lost Ark or even in the Angels movies, they usually don't have much heart, so to speak. Mm. But, you know, it, it usually has that kind of exciting sense of discovery. You know, when you remember when you watch Raiders of the Lost Ark and you have that, that scene with the, um, the boulder. Or, in, um, or in, uh, even in um, Temple of Doom, you have the, the, the rail car chase through the yeah. cave. And those are amazing, you know, scenes. But here, I can't, I kind of can't, have that i don't have that sense of you know new discovery or this new classic scene maybe the closest thing is that chase down a hill but it's still more of a technically a technical side it's more amazing than the actual chase itself yeah um there are little references to comic the comic series uh it is kind of like a middle episode it's like an episode of a long anime series it's not an origin movie at all so you do have to know you can catch a little bit of the references if you know the past stories. You know, there's like newspaper clippings of their past adventures and things like that. Uh, so fans, you know, they get rewarded. And you can also tell that because um, the original script was by Stephen Moffat and then Edgar Wright and Joe Cornish responded later on, were brought in later on. So you could tell that Edgar Wright wrote the, the dialogue for Thompson and Thompson when, he, when you hear that reference to Hot Fuzz. I don't know if you caught it. Fall. No, I didn't catch it. What did they say? They said, Thompson and Thompson, the first thing they said was, you know, police work is police work isn't just about chasing people. It's a lot of paperwork involved. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, when I caught it, I was like, yeah, half us. Um, the ending leaves room for a sequel. And I, 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 like, I, like you are, I think I am excited to see what, what a sequel will be like. But I kind of wanted a new story. I was hoping a new story, a new adventure, instead of how they set it up as a continuation. Of well, what, see, that'll be... Because, yeah. I mean, it, it does kind of set it up. But then again, you know... Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that a sequel would pick up there. You know, it's just like the adventures continue, sort of like, you know, in Indiana Jones, um, you know, the, 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 the adventures will continue with him. You're, you're not sure what he'll be, actual, what we'll actually be seeing next, but you know he'll go on to do other stuff. Yeah, but here, um, the, the not, not to spoil, it's not really a spoiler, but they do, it almost seems like you're setting up for direct sequel because yeah. it seems like it's not quite it, it could i'm just you know that's one of the reasons why i want to go, I want to go and read the books because you know that might just be a hook you know of reference but they may never actually go anything with anywhere with that story you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. yeah yeah yeah. It, yeah it might just be sort of like uh well and this is what happens is this is what's going to happen next but that may not be what we show you next kind of an sure. idea yeah yeah but i think with the nature of this film being like the way that it's set up to be like a middle, a new story, or like a like a story in the middle of the yeah. series. Yeah, it would be cool to see a new adventure with the, with both Haddock and, and you know Snowy and. Yeah, the nice thing too was the the opening credits. Um, if you watch them, it's kind of setting up a mini story too. 
Yeah. And I was afraid that what I was seeing was going to be the story. And mm-hmm. it, it wasn't. It was, I, you know, and, and I'm guessing what I what you see in the credits, um, it's all done through like very limited animation and, and sort of noirish shadows and things. But it's really, really nice. Kind of like the opening um, of uh, Cash Me If You Can. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Opinion. Exactly like that. And but but it's a it's a little bit more in detail narratively. And and it also had me wondering, it, that's got to be from like another famous story, too. You know, and so I'm like, I, w- I want to go read about that. Uh, what what's that about? Um, so yeah, there's just you know I agree. There's lots of nice little references, um, for, especially for fans of the comic. I'm guessing, but I'm 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 sure that there are probably things that we don't know about that might have been changed or might have been left out, or that might have some fans you know feeling a little bit uh, slighted. I don't know. Yeah, I think I think fans fan responses have been very haven't been very good in Europe, where it's been already playing for last month or so, um, which is you know unfortunate um but you know it is going to play in the states where the the comic have next to no exposure so it's going to be interesting to see how this new group of audience in the states will we receive or how they will um how they respond to this film um as far as rating okay um well like you said, i say see it it's a fun adventure um it's a little cold but once you're with it there are really good set pieces um one that Will, may not get mentioned much, but actually, it's really great action filmmaking. Is the there's a certain um, continuous sequence involving a plane that just goes on and on and on and on, and when it stops, you don't even realize that it was it was going on like that for so long that you know it just kind of gaps a little bit for breath. That you know, it's brilliant Spielbergian action filmmaking. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's it's good entertainment even though it's not great but it's good and i would definitely recommend it as, as someone who hasn't read the comic so i can't really say how it is but as someone who hasn't read the comic i enjoyed it and yeah i would recommend it and i'm gonna watch it a second time next week so all right well you have to re- revisit your uh, thoughts on it once you do yep. um the guys are going on in the chat room about uh spielberg kind of says this He's no Lucas. That is guys. the single most clueless, clueless alteration ever talking about the uh i guess the walkie-talkie gun to walkie-talkie transformation he can do what he wants but he's also setting himself up for ridicule ridicule which i think a lot of people did um but he's laughing all the way to the bank i i guess and he does have the classics behind him so um i wouldn't worry too much i mean spielberg has artistic integrity yeah. unlike Lucas. matt matt said, matt responds he says if i were a slimy marketing executive encourage these bizarre changes just to tempt folks to double dip when they get corrected um and some people actually speculated that you know, uh, that kind of stuff goes on. I, you know, I was all set to get the Blu-rays until I heard that they weren't going to have the multiple versions, like had been rumored. Um, he says, I mean, people would pay good money for a Han Solo shoots first edition of Star Wars, and they did. I mean, the, the, there are editions out there that exist, earlier editions, um, and those editions are worth a lot of money now because they're out of print. Right? Um, I think my my dad may have one edition on uh, Laserdisc somewhere. We don't even have a Laserdisc player, but <laughs> he's still got the Laserdisc of um, of those films. Um, so yeah, it's you know it's it's just mind boggling. Spielberg's bag, but but in my mind, Lucas is so much worse because um, oh, yeah. he just you know it's he just keeps going. He just keeps going back to that trough. It's like 
up oh, got a new edition coming out this time we're gonna add some new effects up oh, got a new edition coming out this time we're gonna make uh greedo shoot up oh, got a new edition come out this time vader says no <laughs> um you know it's like come on george i mean uh do something new you know and and i say this as a fan i love the clone wars even though that's starting to look a little bit long in the teeth now um but yeah it's like come on it's um uh, there's a there, have you seen the uh there's a documentary out it was on itunes i almost rented it last week um called the people versus george lucas mm-hmm. uh, no, i haven't seen it but yeah. i've heard of it yeah uh, i watched the trailer it looks pretty interesting um and supposedly at least according to the trailer he's a broken man um that because he came out and he had all these artistic visions uh you know with like uh thx 1138 and 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 he wanted to do like i don't know um stanley kubrick style stuff right and and he couldn't get it done and so he went you know and and and, uh american graffiti what, what, what you know didn't do well and the execs you know um, we're all hammering him about about the stuff he was working on. So then he went in this totally commercial direction, and he became the person that he is today. Um, that's at least how the trailer kind of paints part of the discussion of that documentary. Wow. So um, I don't know. What would be, I'll have to sit down and watch it. I, I, I was looking at movies to rent during the Thanksgiving holiday on iTunes, and there was that, and there was... Um, uh, the new Star Trek documentary called The Captains that William Shatner did. And I actually rented that one, but I haven't watched it yet. And then Conan the Barbarian, the remake. I was kind of mad that that didn't come to Hong Kong. And then after I watched it, I found out, I figured out why <laughs> it didn't come to Hong Kong. Um, so, yeah, that's neither here nor there. But that is a show, so let me play this. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. So we had a couple comments on a previous episode, uh, not the last episode, but the episode 89 where are my comments? Ah, there they are. From our friend Gary Lau, uh, who wrote in to tell us, tell us a little bit about uh, Ricky Hoy, who we talked about um, on uh, that episode, uh, talking about you know, the passing of Ricky Hoy. He says um, uh, that Ricky was the second of five siblings, four brothers, and one sister. I didn't know they had such a big family. And he talks about uh, the nature of the Chinese names and the ordering of the Chinese names. Um, and that Ricky is the ying part of the uh, manying kit mo pattern. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, That's how my parents recited their, their order. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah. they knew this. Yeah. Um, so, that's, you know, it's a little interesting bit of information. He also talks a little bit about uh, a dog. There's a dog story. But I'll let you go to the website to uh, read that story um about the dog um so i think that's gonna do it though because we're pushing our time limit so uh yeah i think that's a show uh you can of course listen to us in the usual formats but we're also on stitcher radio which allows you to listen to us on your iphone your android phone your blackberry and your web os phone 
Stitcher is smart radio for your phone. Find it in your app store or at stitcher.com. Stitcher smart radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. And we thank them for adding our little show onto their network. Um, visit the website. We are at www.concast.com, and you can drop by there and leave us some comments, leave us some um, criticisms or some of your thoughts on whatever, even if it's a story about Ricky Hoy and, and a dog. Um, iTunes, of course, you can always drop by iTunes and leave us some feedback there. If you'd like to see some changes to the show or you like what we do or you hate what we do, um, you can let us know. And, of course, if you do like what we do, we'd appreciate a five-star review because that helps us somehow. I'm still not sure how it is. iTunes is just such a beast. Um, and, of course, Twitter. You can follow us on Twitter. The Twitter sh- uh, show site is twitter.com slash concast. Or you can follow me if you want to hear about my daily ramblings at twitter.com slash foxlore. And Mr. Ma and all of his daily exploits at twitter.com slash thegoldenrock. And I do encourage you to follow him because he tweets a lot about a lot of interesting movie-related information throughout the day. How he finds the time, I do not know. I'm at work, of course. Yes. <laughs> no, um, actually, I won't be. I won't be. Um, I have been re-examining what I do uh, on Twitter, and uh, uh, I am gonna try and shift a little bit more back to the blog mm. uh, from now on. So Chinese cinema news. Uh, more for the blog and random observations about society and and some movie stuff uh, mm. back on Twitter. But so yeah, follow me on Twitter um, at the Golden Rock, and of course read my blog on LoveHongKongFilm.com. Uh, you can find the link on the homepage. Yeah. All right, and you're gonna be, as you said, going off to Japan this week. But are you gonna be doing any other writing, any reviews uh, this week before you go? I won't be reviewing a movie this week. I am working on a review for Siddiq Bali and the Chinese film Love is Not Blind. And I will be tweeting about movies I see in Japan, including uh, Moneyball, the, the baseball film. And um, what else am I going to watch? Happy Feet 2. Yeah, I know. Oh. Uh, such a random choice. Yeah, I'll be watching that. And, of course, I'll be watching Tintin again. So, um, yeah, be sure to follow me on my on my Twitter. Excellent. Uh, let me throw a quick thanks out to Rob Gobbers at Schnauzer Studios for our theme, Ross Chen of LoveHongKongFilm.com for doing what he does to keep us out and about and watching movies here in Hong Kong. Thanks to Kevin for sticking with me through, what is this, 91 episodes now? 91. And of course, thanks to the guys in the chat room, Kenneth, Matthew, anybody else who stopped by. We love chatting with you, and we love your participation here on the show. And of course, thanks to all of you out there, listeners, however you get this, if you're getting it uh, out there in your podcatching services or, or however you get it uh we like the fact that you're there and of course you're welcome to get in touch with us at any time for any reason next show is episode 92 we will be talking about magic to win uh the latest film from the happy ghost himself raymond wong and i'll tell you um i'll post the link up on the show notes so you can kind of catch it early or you can just do a quick uh youtube search for the trailer for this movie um, I don't know if it's on the YouTube version, but the one we saw in the theaters, they had lightsabers. <laughs> okay, uh, it's a it's a movie about magicians, but they had lightsabers. Uh, the wizards. I, I, I'm I'm wizards. I'm smelling lawsuit, and they sounded like <laughs> lightsabers. So, yeah. Um, you know, Lucas is a litigious beast uh, of a, of a man. So, uh, I think that uh, magic to win. Better hope it's got some magic in the courtroom, or it's not going to be winning much. Uh, if that, if that, uh, if Lucas gets wind of any of that, 
Um, so we'll be talking about Magic to Win, and we'll also be talking about Strawberry Cliff, the weird-looking Eason Chan English psychodrama that looks like Silent Hill, but with no budget. I don't know. What is it? Do you know about it, Kevin? Because it looks weird. All I know is that it's been shelved for a year and finally released. Yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah. So, all of that and much more on our next show. Until then, this is East Screen, West Screen, wishing you good viewing, and we'll see you next week. See you next week, everybody. From Japan. From Japan. Wait, wait.